This is the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast, a weekly show to help you prioritize your health, happiness, and well-being so that you can thrive in the classroom and in life. I'm your host, Ellen Ronalds Keane. Enjoy the podcast. I'm really good. Thank you for being on the podcast. No problem. Um, I think we'll get straight into it. So can you tell uh, me and the listeners a little bit about your path to becoming a teacher? Because I know that yours was um, a little bit bit of a winding path. It certainly was. I, um, I come from a family of teachers. So just about everyone in my family is a teacher. And I decided to take a slightly different path initially out of high school and did a um, a Bachelor of International Relations and Spanish Studies, and then I became a social worker cool. for about years and did a bit of travel. And during that time, I um, I worked mainly with refugees, and there was such a high burnout rate in social work that I um, I started to feel yeah a little bit like I wasn't going to be able to do that long term. So I started looking for an alternative that I might be able to move between the two jobs. Ah. And just seemed the smartest the smartest option there so I went back and did my dip ed at UWA over in Perth and now I'm my second year teacher in Karatha which is in I guess the Pilbara Western Australia yeah so you are a high school teacher is that right yep high school and um my area is Hass, so humanities and social studies with a major of modern history cool and this is at a um state school it's at an independent school, yes. Ah, okay. Yep. Excellent. And so this is the beginning of your second year. Yes, that's right. And when you were doing your dip ed, did you know that you were going to go somewhere so remote? No, no idea. The only reason I ended up here, I, I always planned to go back to Queensland because that's where all my family is. But um, I did a prac, one of my, my second prac was up here in Karatha and um and I really liked the school. I liked the range of um, students that I get to work with here. I like the opportunities that come with working in a rural school. I'm able to teach senior classes here, which is really good. And so when they offered me a job, I thought I'd give it a try. So, yeah, two years, well, one year and into my second year now. Mm. Wow. It's really cool. And uh, not everyone can work in such a kind of remote regional area. So I think that I think that's really awesome. Yeah, it's um, good. It's, it has its challenges, but for the most part, I love it. Well, that's a perfect segue because I was just going to ask, talk to me about um, what challenges you faced in your first year of teaching. Yeah, I, I think I probably faced uh, all of the challenges that one would expect in their yeah. first year. I, um, I was very overwhelmed yep. for probably the first semester, just never 100% sure if what I was doing was correct, yep. if, if I was even doing a good job, if the children were even learning anything. <laughs> Those thoughts were crossing my mind quite regularly. Um, and and also you add that with some slight technical issues that you often run into in rural places where internet will cut out or, um, you know, resources aren't always as readily available as you would get them in the city. Yep. And children often don't have the same supplies or access to internet at home in the way that you would expect. So all of those things had to be taken into consideration a lot of was quite challenging yeah and how did you overcome that well I think I mean obviously some of it you can't 
you can't do yeah, it. Yeah, so, some of it was just kind of like, I guess, waiting and hoping it would get better, which it definitely did. Um, a huge part of it was I'm just so thankful I ended up in a department with super supportive colleagues. Like I do not know what I would have done without them giving me all of their resources, activities, advice, support. It was uh, – and I was the only grad in my department, which in the beginning I was a bit – concerned about because it would have been nice to have like a peer that I, I felt the same level with but by the end everyone was just so yeah everyone was just so accommodating and really really went out of their way to make sure that I, I felt supported that I, I think I was pretty lucky there yeah yeah oh well mm. that's good and in terms of the um the feelings of overwhelm mm. how did you deal with that or overcome that other than just waiting well, um, it, like within I, yourself. Yeah, I put in a huge amount of work. Like I, the the workload in the first six months was quite intense. It was, you know, every afternoon and most weekends. And then even when I wasn't working, I was constantly anxious about the fact that I knew I had other things that I could be doing. Um, and it wasn't sustainable. And so obviously it didn't last the whole <laughs> year, but Second semester, I'd um, definitely dropped off on what I was doing, but then I still felt quite guilty. But um, eventually, after talking to a lot of people, most people kind of just accept that your first year of teaching is going to be quite intense, and that you do need to you do do need to just say, well, I guess that's as much as I'm going to do, and I'll just have to make it work on Monday when I get in there, and really being quite strict with yourself about when you're going to pull the pin, and having clear things that that you do do, like um, me and the other grads from the school and other departments would often organise events on the weekends like going to the beach, going out fishing, doing all of those things where you were forced out into the world to not do any work and at least you had a couple of like fun social events every weekend that would help get you through. Absolutely. And so I loved what you said about drawing a line in sand and going, I'm just, I'll have to walk in, you know, on Monday morning and just make do with what I've got so far because um, there's always more you can do, always. <laughs> And often the lessons where you just you you know where you're a little bit more relaxed about the direction they often go quite well anyway. So right. and it was That's just right. it was just getting enough experience to know that not having every minute of the lesson planned out wasn't necessarily a bad thing, yeah. and that sometimes yeah. that gives you a lot more freedom and your students a lot more freedom to take I guess the content in a direction that works for them. Yeah, so true. Um, in terms of the the socialising and uh, mm. you know, getting out and about and and maintaining a life outside of, mm-hmm. of work um is that something that you did in the first six months or did that only happen in your you know in the second half of your first year um there was there was socialization in the first six months I mean it I'm a little bit of an odd case because I moved to a town where I literally did not know a soul so mm-hmm. I had I have and continue to this day not much of a life outside of the school parameters and that most of my friends are teachers yeah and that while that does obviously come with some negative things and that you don't have any external perspective coming into your life, it is good because all of your friends get it and they understand, you know, how, um, how work can be and the ins and outs of it. But, um, yeah, that like there was definitely more socialization after probably like three or four months, but the, in the beginning it was, I did feel quite isolated, but like I said, that's a combination of being in a new town with no family or friends. Absolutely. and But you know what? I think there's quite a lot. I mean, I certainly had that experience. It was my second year of teaching, but still, um, I certainly had that experience of moving somewhere where I knew nobody else um, yeah. other than who I met 
through work. So um, I think that's pretty common when, when you end up um, having to move away from wherever you grew up to, to, get, to get a job. Yeah, definitely. And that's, yeah, I think that's just a part of, I'm, I'm quite good at it now. I've, I've done, moved to random towns at several stages in my life. But, um, but, but yeah, it does, it just takes a little bit of, I guess, being comfortable with being alone and also putting yourself out there and just kind of really like making it so that, yeah, you, you're setting yourself up as well as you can for making friends and for being social. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what is your approach to self-care? How do you maintain your well-being? Going into your second year, um, mm-hmm. have you got a, you know, a bit of a plan for maintaining your well-being that's perhaps looking back thinking, well, I made some mistakes you know, last year in, in that way, so going to make sure you do things a bit differently this year? What's your approach to that? Definitely. My biggest mistake that I always make when I start to get stressed is that my that exercise is the first thing that I let slip, which yeah. is incredibly common. Most people do it. But um, exercise is very, very important to me. I think just for mental health and just my general well-being, it, I've, I've made the commitment that that is actually my number one priority, making sure that every single day I do some form of physical activity or like five to six times a week because I, I can't really do any of the other things if that's fallen over. I can't do work effectively if I'm not looking after myself in that way. So, so true. That's, yeah, that's a um, – a big, a big thing that I'm doing, and I'm. It's very lucky. I live in a building that has a gym built in, and um, I just make the commitment to get up early every morning and going to the gym. And if I miss the morning one, then the first thing to go in the afternoon would be planning. I would come home instead of planning, and I will go to the gym. And then if it doesn't fit in, then it doesn't fit in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that you make that your non-negotiable, yeah, rather definitely. than rather than thing that slides when yeah, the first sign of getting that, busy. That, I think that idea came a little bit with age as well and that I'm not I'm I'm a fair bit older than most of the grads because obviously I did my dip head a bit later in life so I'm 29 this year yeah but um, I, I know that when I was 21 and 22 I had a very very different approach to my health to, to my diet to my exercise to all of those things and uh, yeah I'm not at a stage where that's something that I'm willing to compromise anymore yeah awesome so can you talk to me about what's what's changed there compared to when you were 21 22 I am um, I think there's just a certain amount of experience that comes along with all kinds of workplaces. Like it yeah. doesn't matter if you're a teacher or a social worker, like in the beginning, the work seems so important and, and like, you know, making sure that you're doing work exactly how you should be doing it and pleasing everyone at work and making sure that everyone's happy was a huge part of it. And I've always been a little bit of a people pleaser. I like for people to be happy. Yeah. But, um, it's, that's not really sustainable and it's not really practicing good self-care if you're doing that 100% of the time sacrificing your own happiness or your own free time in order to make that happen. Mm. And I just, I guess I just care a little bit less now about what people think and I'm pretty comfortable now that I'm doing a good job and I'm doing as much work, more work than what would be expected of me and so all of my personal things need to need to be prioritised as well and I just feel much much clearer in my mind about where everything fits than I did when I was 21, I guess. Yeah, that's that's absolutely perfect. I so agree. People pleasing, I mean, it's very common and we all we all fall into that trap all the time. But, yeah, it, I think as you can remind yourself that, yeah, you can't do what, what you've got to do if you're not okay. So if you don't put your own health and well-being first in the, you know, in the short term, that's, that's actually going to prevent you from people pleasing over the long term. Um, oh, absolutely. And just that ability to 
know your limits, like know where you're at as far as your stress levels go and um, being able to say no even to things that you think you should be doing. Like a few times last year there were some opportunities of like extra professional development or like roles outside of my role that I could take on that would obviously look very good on my CV. And I remember, you know, sitting there and being like, oh, should I take on this role? And then kind of looking at everything that was happening around me and how much I felt like I was struggling with the content and then just being like, no, that will come up again. There will be opportunities like that again. Right now I'm just going to focus on teaching and all of this ladder climbing and and getting all of those extra like ticks in the boxes about being, you know, um, year co or any of those things can come a little bit later once I feel confident in the job that I'm doing. Absolutely. And, and you're so right because those things will come up again and you want to be really solid in your teaching practice and in your, you know, physical and mental health to be able to take them on the next time they come up. And when you take them on, you want to do them well. And it's so easy to find that idea of, oh, my God, what if this is my only chance? Because that happens in any job with promotions or with extra roles. But in my experience, everything comes around twice. It, like you, you will come up. It might not be exactly that thing, but something else will come up again and then you can take it on. Yeah, that is such good advice. Yep. And you don't have to do everything now. Yes. Um, oh, goodness. I was just I, saying to a first-year teacher that I'm sort of mentoring at the moment, um, I was just saying to him the other day, you know, it is okay to kind of milk a little bit the fact that you're new and you're learning. You know, you're two weeks in, it's okay to use it as an excuse to say, oh, I'm not ready to do that yet. I've only been here two weeks, you know? Absolutely. And I am, um, that, that, was, that was what I found so helpful about the school that I was in. The school I'm in, obviously there's quite a high turnover of staff in rural areas. So um, they're quite used to getting grads coming through and they really have that down where it's like, okay, these are, there are certain things that grads don't really, you know, like aren't asked to do. And, and so it's kind of like, yeah, that's good. You need to have that thing where it's like, the school makes it a policy that it's a process that grads don't do those things just so that you don't even have, you know, the option. Yeah. And that's really, really good from the school's perspective to be taking that into account because, of course, it's, it's you know, it's self-care on a, um, on a school level then too because then hopefully you're more likely to have grads that make it through the year and want to stay on. Yeah, that's it. And that's, that's the goal really. Mm. It's, better for, it's better for the students, better for like mm. the departments as well, having that continuity with teachers that want to stay and want to improve on their practice within that school with the students that they've been teaching. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. So exercise is one of your non-negotiables and that, mm -hmm. you said that that's good for your physical and mental health, yeah. um, which I can so relate to. What else is on your self-care list, your kind of non-negotiable list to help maintain your well-being? Um, I – let me have a think. I always make sure I eat lunch at work, like, but not, in, not at my desk. So the thing, like I sit there and I was like, even if it is at my desk, but that's my focus. The eating is my focus, yeah. not the trying to, you know, stuff something in your mouth halfway through another activity. Yeah, that yeah. doesn't really for me. Um, so I do that. I also um, try to minimise after school time. Like school finishes over here at 2.30 so, and usually I really try and be out of there by 3.34. I would try not to stay any later than that just so mm -hmm. that I have the whole afternoon to unwind. Um, and I guess other other self-care self -care stuff that I do is just really – 
uh, this one I'm not as good at, but it's another one of the re- resolutions that I've put in for this year is that when I am in social situations to try not to talk about work, which is very challenging if all your friends are teachers. Oh, absolutely. At the same school. And so, you know, you've obviously got like all, all students, colleagues, everything in common. So usually it ends up just being an extension of work. And I really mm. want to try and move away from that because I don't think it's particularly healthy for for friendships to have to not progress past that point. Absolutely. And and it's also if there is anything negative going on at, you know, a, a difficulty at school, um, then you don't get a break. Yep, that's exactly right. Um, but it's, yeah, it's pretty common for teachers to talk shop when they get together. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. And obviously, like, then I speak to my family quite regularly as well. I'm very lucky in that most people in my family are teachers and they are experienced teachers. And so I have lots of people external from my situation who I can ask for advice from. But, um, yep. yeah, same thing. It ends up being <laughs> a lot of a lot of work talk. Yes. But, yeah. My sister's a teacher, so I get it too. <laughs> We uh, we do end up having having school chats quite often, and there's value in that too. Oh, definitely, and also there's value in that non-judgmental thing that you get with your family, where they're obviously supporting you and looking out for your best interests. And so, yeah, getting advice from them can be quite helpful. And also, they 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 understand completely where you're coming from when you you know you're like, oh my god, reports are due this week, and they'll be like, oh, I won't keep you then. And yeah, then, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if you could go back to maybe. Jane from a year ago um, and give her some advice or give some advice to other, you know, teachers starting out in their first year, what advice would you give them? Um, This one is quite specific. I would say that um, based on my learning area, which is the humanities, focus less on trying to convey all of the content that's written in the curriculum and more on teaching the skills through the content. I found that was a huge downfall for me last year in that I was, I was looking at this unbelievable amount of content that I thought needed to be covered in a short period of time, which, it, like, it is actually impossible. I don't think that even the people who, who wrote the curriculum expected that every single element of that would be in one term. And I feel like my planning really suffered because of me trying to cram all of these things into these lessons for these children where it was more like, okay, what are the skills I want them to get out of this? And I just teach that in the context of what we're learning. That's I great really advice. think that that would have helped me a lot with my planning and it would have cut down on planning time. If your focus was paragraph writing and sentence structure and you teach that in the context of World War One and World War Two, that's great. Like you're doing everything you're supposed to do then. Yeah. And the other thing, this sounds a little bit academic, but like referring back to the standards, like the or standards, review what you're expected to do as a grad because I didn't like – Everyone talked about them a lot and we talk about them in PDs and we talk about them at staff meeting. And when I actually sat there and went through my performance review and then like I was asked to circle where I thought I was at as a teacher and I was like, and I was looking at what was expected of grads and it isn't that much. Like everyone is aware that you are a graduate teacher and that this is your first rodeo. Like yeah. it's not, yeah. it's not, <laughs> it's not like you have any, anything else that's working in on that. And looking at the eight or standards of what the Australian government expects you to be able to do as a teacher really helped me because I, I saw that like for most of them, I was a little bit above that. And some of them are where I thought that I was lacking, I was still meeting the standard of a graduate teacher. So those eight or standards, while they can be a bit wordy, especially that graduate column, I found super helpful, but I found them pretty late in the piece. Like by term three, I kind of had a really good look at them and I was like, oh, 
I, I am going better than I thought I was. Yeah. And so what I hear you saying is that that did two things for you. One, it allowed you to kind of give yourself permission to go, oh, I actually don't have to be meeting this standard that this other teacher is, you know, trying yeah, to reach like for because exactly <laughs> yeah. because I'm not yeah. there yet. I'm at this beginning stage, so I'll give yourself permission to be where you're at, but also to kind of give yourself a pat on the back and go, you know what, I'm doing okay. You know, I'm learning and I'm meeting all of these grad um, standards, and I'm actually doing a good job. Definitely. And the final thing I would say is. Make sure that you are making friends with other grads at your school and that you are honest with them about where you're at because you can guarantee that everyone else is probably quite stressed and a little bit scared about doing the wrong thing. And having, I, I was just very lucky. I had a good group of grads where we had very open conversations about where we thought, thought we were at and even just for that reassurance that at least you're not the only one that's that's struggling. You've got other people there who are in the same position as you who feel the same way as you do and and just having that like camaraderie I suppose really, is really really helpful. Absolutely. And and that thing about honesty um because sometimes teaching can be really competitive and and people can tend especially especially when you're new and you don't want to look like you're struggling, you know, you want to make it appear like everything's, yeah, everything's fine here. Job. I got this under control. Yeah. Um, it, it can be really hard to, to be honest and, and be vulnerable and saying, you know what, actually, I don't got this. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing with this particular section or I need help with that. Or I'm just feeling really overwhelmed. I mean, even that, even admitting that can be um, a really brave act of vulnerability. Um, have you heard of Brene Brown? No. Oh, Jane. Um, you, I will send you a link to her TED awesome. talk about vulnerability because it is really good, and she's got a number of um, a number of really awesome books as well. But her, one of her main points is that you know when people are not honest about how they're really feeling, you know, if you if you actually are feeling overwhelmed and you're putting on this front and saying, no, no, I'm fine, no, I'm not struggling at all, and there's yeah another grad next to you who's also feeling overwhelmed, but they see you know your front they feel like they have to put on this bravado as well and it, it it actually disconnects us from each other because we stop being honest and we we start feeling like we have to be um you know okay all the time with this fake facade mm. um and then nobody's actually being honest and when we actually say actually I'm I'm not coping with this or this is really even just this is really hard um and it breaks down those barriers and those walls between us and we actually connect on a really honest, deep level and it makes us feel better, ironically, because we go, oh, somebody else is struggling with this too. It's not me. I'm not this flawed human that's the only person that's ever had a problem here. Mm. We're all struggling with this because it is just hard. Um, that, and, that's, and I think that's, yeah, that's, a, that's an excellent point that you made, Ellen. I, I really think with giving advice to grads, it's this idea that, yep, your first year, it's hard. Like there's no, 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 I don't think anyone goes into their first year and is like, oh, that was like the easiest, best, most self-confident year I've ever had before in my life. Yeah. No one walks away from it feeling that way because it is an overwhelming job and you're responsible for so many things. And ultimately people don't get into teaching for the money or for the accolades. They get into it because they want to do a good job. Yeah. And it's that, that need to feel like you're doing a good job and that you are making a difference for the students, that you are, you know, progressing their education sometimes gets in the way of that idea of like, yeah, but you are still learning. You're still a student yourself in your first one, two, three, four years of teaching and you need to be prepared for that and be prepared to really make 
some critical errors that that you will overcome with time. That's right. And have some compassion for yourself, you know, that exactly like you said, you are still a student of teaching. Um, yeah. And, yeah, have when you do make a mistake, have compassion for yourself the same way we have compassion for our students when they stuff up because we know that that's part of the learning process and that's Definitely. actually sometimes the best way to learn. Uh, and on that note um, of being a student, a student teacher, being yes. a teacher and learner at the same time, observation helped me so much. Um, uh, our school is quite open with observation, which is I think is a very positive thing, even if it's a little bit confronting sometimes as yeah. a teacher, having people come in. But I learned so much from watching prof- like uh, like more experienced teachers and how they how they work in the classroom, especially if I had classes that were challenging or particular students that were challenging yeah. and seeing how other people managed them and picking what what other people are doing was so helpful to me and just gave me so many good ideas. Just using, using the right. wealth of knowledge that you already have around you in your school would be, yeah, another piece of advice that I would give. Oh, so true because we don't have to reinvent the wheel and as you say, um, when you can watch somebody else, as, yeah, as scary as it can be to have somebody sitting in the back of your own classroom, um, you you get to almost see things, especially I found, because you, you do observations when you're on prac, but you almost don't have the experience oh, yeah. to even notice some, everything that's going on. But once you've been in the classroom teaching on your own for a while and then you get to go back and observe, you notice so much more. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. It was, um, yeah, that, those, those things are, are highly valuable, definitely. Oh, well, that is fantastic advice. Thank you, Jane. You're so welcome. Thanks for sharing your story because I, th- I really think, especially um, because you have just finished your first year, you're still very um, close to those learnings and, cl- and close to the, you know, the overwhelming nature of, of it. It can be easy to forget that as, you, as it does get easier. Some things don't get easier, but it can be easy to forget how hard things are in those first couple of months. Um, so it's great, yeah. it's great to hear your story and your observations from being so close to it, but also from having worked in other areas, you know, other industries where also, you know, you've learned and grown and, and have a few more strategies probably in terms of resilience to, to keep yourself well and healthy and happy. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Jane. I'm going to stop the recording. Well, any time. <laughs> okay. Thanks for listening to the teacher wellbeing podcast. If you've enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe in your chosen podcast player so you don't miss an episode. I'd love it also if you would leave a rating and review in iTunes and share it with your friends. This really helps the podcast reach more people and together we can spread the message of teacher wellbeing to create thriving school communities. Don't forget there's also a review competition to celebrate the start of the podcast. So if you leave a review in the iTunes store before the 31st of March 2017, you'll go into the running to win some great prizes. Show notes for this episode can be found at selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash podcast. You can also find me at facebook.com forward slash selfcareforteachers and on Instagram my handle is at selfcareforteachers. So come along and follow me there.